Would you join with me in this prayer that will be on your screen, please, the next thing. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. That's a good place to say amen. Our president has uh, declared that this day, uh, March 15th, is a, to be a national day of prayer for our nation. And uh, this house is a house of prayer, and you have already interceded and declared powerfully. But I'm going to ask us to do it again, especially now that we have invited our online family to join us. But let me begin by reading Psalm 46. I'll read the entirety of the passage. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. It's in the book. <laughs> Look at that there. Therefore, we will. Why won't we fear? I, this, I, got, I got a whole other message, so I don't want to preach this one. Uh, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and they cancel school. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, though the store runs out of paper. (laughs) There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. But he lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. (laughs) In this room and those who are with us, let's join our hearts together in faith toward God, in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we pray now. Now, Lord, we pray now. We pray that you will raise up a great standard of truth, that you will destroy uh, falsehood, fear, and despair, Lord, and that the spirit of truth himself will cause there to prevail Truth, calm, fortitude, strength, wisdom. We pray for real wisdom in the hearts and minds of those who make decisions. We pray that fear will not be a counselor 
that fear will not be a slave master. We pray for truth. We pray for calm. We pray for wisdom to prevail. Righteousness and wisdom in the hearts of those who make decisions. And Lord, we pray for your people. We pray against and rebuke in Jesus' name any foul thing that would rise up against them. We pray for health. We pray for healing. We pray for protection. We pray that your people would literally abide in the land of Goshen. Lord, that while there may be plague elsewhere, that those who call upon the name of the Lord will be fully protected. We thank you that we dwell in the shadow and the shelter and the safety of the Most High. That we have made you our secret place and you have surrounded us. Bless your people. Lord, let, us, let your people lead with hope and with joy. Let, our, let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, and the countenance of our face be pleasing and acceptable to you. Cause the wind of heaven to blow and blow this thing. Let not, not just this too shall pass, but Lord, let this, come, let this pass quickly. And we pray for those, Lord, whose, whose finances have been challenged and businesses who have been challenged. We pray, Lord, we look to you to be our provider and protector. We ask you to redeem this, turn this around, that what has been stolen will be repaid back. Lord, that you will multiply. Lord, we anticipate, we can envision a day of just celebrating and looking at the, redemption, the redeeming hand of God. Lord, we pray for those who would be struggling even right now in their bodies. We say, be well and be healed, be protected in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And may God bless the United States of America. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we've been reading in our Bibles about uh, in this, uh, this smaller series called Miracles with Meaning. And I'm so glad for how the, the miracle passages of the gospel inspire us and, and uh, prompt us to have fresh faith in Jesus. Just this last week, between her own reading and the, and the combination of some things, uh, because she just has this particular skill set, on her lunch break, uh, Meg wrote a new song about miracles. And I, I'm looking forward to you hearing it pretty soon. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, but the, the, what we have noted about these miracles in the Gospels is that we've, we begin by insisting that we respond to them in the manner that they were first experienced, meaning that these had an immediate impact upon their first audience. Far too often, I know I say this often, but I want us to make sure we get it. Far too often people read a miracle in the Bible and they jump to the metaphor. Well, what's that, what, is that, what does this symbolize? Well, it doesn't, it, 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 what it symbolized is this thing happened. <laughs> it, it, it's not a symbol, it's an actual event. Once we, are, once we embrace and are affected by that actual event, we should then go, hmm, look at that this, this expression, this manifestation of God's grace and power, of course, it also includes a, an, uh, a revelation of truth. Amen, right? But first we start with the manifestation of grace and power, and then we take a step back and say, oh, look, there's also revelation of truth. So we, are, we have been reading through this series, and we, we have seen that Matthew has an agenda beginning the, the, as chapter 7 concludes, and now really as, he's, as, he, as he 
lands the first part of chapter 9, there's been a, a consistent theme in all of these interactions, and that theme has been authority. Would you all like to say that out loud? Now, we've seen that. You can look at that. As the Sermon on the Mount closed, Matthew draws our attention that people said, wow, he speaks with authority. And then as we follow each example, we see Jesus acting with an exceptional, unique, uh, messianic authority. And each of these things are unique, and they, and they create shock and awe and wonder in the reader. We've seen uh, authority in Jesus' words. We've seen authority as Jesus commands healing over a distance. We've seen authority as Jesus, with a word, drives out many uh, who were demonized and healed their sick. We've seen Jesus exercise authority over the lives of his followers. We've seen Jesus exercise authority over the wind and over the waves. And we've seen Jesus exercise authority last week over Evil and demons all respond to to his word. But what we will read today, if Jesus doesn't have authority over this, then nothing else that has happened is of much help in the long term. But because he does have authority, we have real help and a certain hope. Because of this authority that we'll read about today, we can be saved. Matthew chapter 9, the first eight verses. Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So, he said to the paralyzed man, get up. Take your mat, go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such, everybody say it, such authority to man. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. All right. So what's the meaning in this miracle, and and then how does it teach us to be followers of Jesus? Again, the meaning is is fairly singular, but uh, in the in the, the the miracle itself has so much so much. Uh, there's a lot of meat on this bone today, uh, and I, I have a couple of more notes than normal, but they won't let us go anywhere else anyway. 
for the first time in I don't know how many years, there, there literally is no sports to watch. <laughs> Which is basically like the way it is always at my house. There will be no change at my house. Um, uh, Jesus steps into a boat and crossed over and came to his hometown. So he remembered he was at the, the region of the Gentiles there and the Gadarenes. And so he, he gets back in the boat because they asked him to leave. So he does. And he gets back in the boat and he crosses over and he comes to his own hometown, Capernaum. Now, again, uh, if you compare Matthew's version of this account, it is going to be more abbreviated than other versions. Why is that? Because we are recognizing that Matthew really has a singular agenda here. Matthew doesn't include. Now, many of you know this story a little bit, and you're familiar. This is the story where they dig a hole through the roof, and everybody in the, I mean, or at least most people in the house go, I, that just irritates me and all that kind of stuff. And you th- all you can think about is the, maybe the mess in your house or the, the hole in your roof or whatever. And, uh, but Matthew doesn't include that. He doesn't include a lot of those other details because he's writing with a singular agenda. He wants to draw our attention to the authority of Jesus. So, they, so some, when he gets there, he just lands in town, and, and then it says this. Matthew says, Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. A paralyzed man. Now, we read that right away, and we might think, Oh, here it is. This must be the new thing. This must be the, the thing Matthew wants us to... Is this a brand new idea? Well, no, it's not. I, hard, to, hard to say this out loud and have it make sense to anybody, but at this point, healing paralysis is sort of old news. He did this for, he's been doing this. He's done this from a distance already. He did this in chapter 4. He went through all the region healing, pop, 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 but a bunch of people who were paralyzed. And then Matthew chapter 8, the centurion comes to him and says, my servant at home is, is paralyzed and suffering. And he says, go home, he's fine. And he was. So, this is, so the idea that there's a, a person with paralysis brought to Jesus is important, but it's not the thing here. It's not the like, wow, this, that's not the immediate wow. You, you feel me? The, this is a man, in the passage tells us, this is a man who has friends who help him get to Jesus. It looks like you've already applied that. Let me just say it again for the good, to make it good. Are you ready? This man has friends who help him get to Jesus. Now, we may not be able and, and, and we shouldn't try necessarily to force people to follow Jesus. But we must be the kind and quality of friends whose influence brings people into Christ's presence. And if we want to just spiritualize the text a little bit, sometimes it is, you know, five to one. That we have to, that there takes a, there takes a concerted effort to work together to bring people into the presence of Jesus. I can't think of a better objective for you and I in this next season, particularly those who are, I know, here I am a little bit going uh, origin on the text here. He said everything was an analogy. But uh, people that are paralyzed with fear, paralyzed with despair, paralyzed uh, because maybe they're actually very sick. But for whatever, for for however or whatever people are paralyzed with, let you and I be the friends. 
They might be paralyzed in their own sin. They might be on the outside prospering and, and you know, aerobic. But everyone, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin is a power that has tyranny over people. And Jesus, we'll see, is the only one with the authority to deal with it. Who's willing to be a good friend? I can't think of a better way for us to approach this next season as into Easter, into the summertime and beyond than to make sure that you and I are working together to bring people into the presence of Christ. He has friends that bring him, into the, into, bring him to Jesus. And then Matthew says, when Jesus saw their faith, Matthew, as we've already have seen and will continue to see, Matthew is eager to emphasize faith. Faith is important. That may sound simple, but let's just say it out loud together, shall we? Faith is important. Faith is what Jesus looks for and what he responds to. Faith will cause Jesus to, or I guess cause is okay and makes it sound like we're forcing him, but faith will inspire or cause or, or move Jesus to do things which are unusual, out of the ordinary. Uh, uh, just, just Faith is like what will, he, he responds to this Gentile, this Roman centurion, who says, if you'll just say the word, it'll, it'll happen. That faith said, got, got Jesus' attention. Whoa, there's faith there. And I don't, I don't mean to say that he's some sort of a horse that we can bridle, but, but he, there's su- Jesus has such a delight in faith that he does almost, oh. and I want to be the church that has faith in this place that heaven says, whoa, 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 whoa. what's happening there? Let's get a little bit closer. Let's see what can't be accomplished there. I want him to look at us and say, your faith is amazing. Faith is important. Faith responds, Jesus here responds to this group. Everybody say group. And I realize there are probably only five of them together. We say five because we got one guy in his bed and we figure there's four around him, but whatever. But, uh, and there could actually be other passages that tell us how many. But right now, all we know is that there's a group of, there's a group of people who are exercising faith and Jesus sees it. What did he see? He saw their faith, but well, what did he see, though? There is no reason to require us to decide that Jesus had some sort that this was like, you know, he, Jesus was Obi-Wan Kenobiing it. <laughs> I perceive you have faith. I, 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 there, maybe Jesus certainly in the spirit could have had that level of discernment. But, friends, it may just have been that Jesus saw the actions they took to get their friend to Jesus. And he saw that as faith. You know what? That's good news because that means that faith is not necessarily mysterious. It is expressed in the most ordinary of actions. Faith has a content. It's something that we believe. Faith has an object. It is someone upon whom we believe. And faith has actions. It does something. Jesus sees their faith, and because we see that it, faith can be expressed in the most ordinary activity, that we understand that Jesus can, it, faith is as easily recognized as it is exercised. 
So he saw their faith. And I know I'm pressing this a little bit, but it's too exciting not to. He, he's, he recognized their faith. Would you all say their faith? He, respond, he saw their faith and responded to their faith. Again, faith is important. Our faith is important to others. Our faith is important to others. We must realize that our faith or our lack of faith or even our fear can have an impact on others. We can look at the exact same circumstances like the children of Israel did in the book of Numbers, which you read in your one years this month. We can look at the exact same circumstances, and fear can magnify and exaggerate those circumstances to cause us to react in in disobedience and in despair and and then forfeit something wonderful. But faith can look at the exact same circumstances and exaggerate the goodness of God. And by exaggerate, I mean see more clearly. Magnify who God is and what he said. Say, I see that, but what I, I may not understand this. Here's the thing about faith. Faith is what I do know is more important than what I don't know. There's some things I don't necessarily understand that might bother me a bit, but there's a whole lot more that I do know that does comfort me. And we together, it is essential that we together understand that we lock arms in faith, believe together. People around you need your faith. Man, I want to be the kind of person, if someone else has questions or they're struggling, I want, I want, to have, I want my faith to be a buoyant influence on their life. Hey, if you're having a hard time, strap on, bro. Hang on. We got this. People around us need our faith. They need the, the, the people in this room need your faith. The people in your homes need your faith. And my friends, the people in this city and in this country need our faith. What does Jesus see from us? Faith is what he's looking for. What might that look for you? What does that look like for you? What might that be in your life? How would Jesus be able to see your faith? Again, I'm not looking for you to do some superhuman event or action, but just in the most ordinary way, in the most ordinary ways, how would Jesus see your faith? Now's a good time, Rod. I've been, I'll, I'll unpack this a little bit later when we can do it better. But our friend, Kathy Allen, Rod's beloved bride, uh, I don't know how many, a couple of weeks ago now, 15, 10 days, it doesn't, I don't know, we're losing track because of the Twilight Zone out there, but uh, uh, a few, a few, it was a week ago or so, uh, we got a report that there was a, a, a medical examination in Kathy's body that, that, that caused for considerable concern. It appeared that cancer had returned, is that the right word? That cancer had returned in her body. Now, because of some other exist, uh, conditions, well, I, other th- well, here's what the message said. Because of the gunshot wound, we couldn't check. And I was like, back up, could you explain that part? They didn't explain that part. They just kept going. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But uh, because of whatever had happened to her, uh, they couldn't do certain tests. So there was lingering fear, lingering strong concern for the medical, medical community, and they needed to go back and look. And there was, it, it kind of sent a shock wave through uh, the, the Allen White family. And they were, you know, and, and, uh, but uh, the, the good news is, well, Jesus. And the other good news is Jesus says is that Kathy had a few friends. 
Kathy had friends like this who surrounded the family and said, we are, going to, our, we are going to believe with you in the most ordinary ways for, for you to be brought into the presence of Christ. And then in the midst of all the, the nonsense the past couple of days, my phone blows up, and it's Kathy in all caps saying, cancer free. No cancer. <laughs> Seeing their faith, Jesus says to the man, take heart. Take heart. Only Matthew records this warm greeting. In the other passages, it just kind of he just starts talking, but Matthew includes this phrase, take heart. It's a warm greeting. It means be of good cheer. Again, let's try to, I, if I could, I'd crawl inside here. But try to crawl inside the text and see it happening frame by frame. Here's, we know that they dug a hole in the roof, but Matthew hasn't told us that. So all we know is this, this guy's laying here on a mat. We know that uh, from other passages that this, is an, this has been an extended period of suffering for him. Very, very, very long time. And and somehow it must have, he had people in his life that were affected by it, and this was sad. Of course, we know that in that economy, he would have had no capacity to care for himself or to have money. He would have been entirely dependent upon others. It would have been a bad situation, right? Suffering, <laughs> suffering is bad, and it's sad. And God hates it. So he looks over at this feller suffering. And the first thing he says is, good news. I've got good news for you. He actually says, take heart, cheer up. Let joy come back into your life. It might seem like an insignificant thing unless we put ourselves in that man's place especially when we understand, we haven't really got there yet, but we understand that this man believes, as do many people around him, that he is in this circumstance because he is bad. That all he has ever heard is, either implied or directly stated, is not cheer up, but shame on you. Shame on you. But he doesn't say shame on you. He says, take heart be of good cheer. Good news, but not just generic good news. Good news that calls for or causes a joyful response from the one being spoken to. That's the greeting here. I've got good news for you that is going to cause or create and call for a response from you. The gospel is good news. Would you like to say that with me out loud? The gospel is good news. Jesus has good news for this man. It's been rough. It's been sad. But he did not say to the man, hey, cheer up, buddy. Don't worry. You'll die soon, and it'll all be better. He said, good news. Help is on the way. Jesus always points to and meets us at the place of hope. He always calls us to greater expectation. He never talks us down from great hope, great expectation, great faith, great optimism. He never says, simmer down now, you're too optimistic. (laughs) Never. 
He never says, come on, could you calm down? That's too much faith. That's too much hope. That's too much optimism, too much expectation. The more hope, the more optimism, the more faith, the more he's attracted to it. The more he calls for it. And if people are struggling, he always calls them out of it to meet him at a place of hope. And then he calls him son. That's interesting, isn't it? Maybe just to me, but son. Jesus wasn't an, a, a senior at the time. He wouldn't have even been as older as old as many of the leading rabbis. When they scolded him, when the Pharisees scolded him elsewhere, they say, how can you say you know Abraham? You're not even 50 yet. But he calls him son. Why does he call him that? Well, in the in the in the culture there, that that time of that kind of a, a greeting was a term of endearment. But there's also something more. It it is used also kindly, not 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 condescendingly, but it, it's a kind way of referring to someone who is of lesser authority than you. So he is signaling his in a kind way. Son, he says, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Good. Your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus is not, please hear this, Jesus is not stating a fact. He is performing one. He is not recognizing something that is true. He is making something true. If he were stating a fact, he would just be observing. But because he's performing a fact, this is an act of authority. He's deciding. <laughs> he's not observing, he's deciding. He didn't ask a jury and then deliver the report. He decided himself. Son, your sins are forgiven. He is making it true in that moment that all that man's departures from righteousness are gone. Now this is significant also because most people in the room would have assumed that that man's condition was a result of his sin. That he was this way because he was a sinner and that he could never get any better unless somehow that sin was settled. That's what they thought. Now, Jesus never blames the man for his sin. We shouldn't infer that. He's not, he's not casting aspersions or shame on the man. He simply sees faith and responds to faith by forgiving sin. That is what God does. He sees faith and responds with forgiveness. That's what God does. That's, that is something that only God can do. Only God. The psalmist said, but there is forgiveness with thee. And in wonder I fall. He said, Lord, if you count our sins against us, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you. And in wonder I fall on my knees. That is what God does. That is what only God can do. And that is the point. 
At this, the teachers of the law, the scribes, we've met them. These are not uh, necessarily uh, religious experts or, or, or clergy. These are professional scribes, professional interpreters and teachers of the law. They say to themselves, to themselves, not necessarily out loud, but sort of an inner murmur. Uh, they say, they do the math. He just forgave that guy's sin. And he said, well, well, he says it in a minute. Your sins are forgiven. And they say, hey, wait a minute. This guy's blaspheming. Now, here's what's great. You've got to catch this in the story. Because they've already accused him of, of blasphemy, blasphemy by saying your sins are forgiven, right? Right? They're already upset. <laughs> Jesus is savage. <laughs> Wait for Jesus. Just a minute. Just a minute. Why do they say he's blaspheming? Because blasphemy is an insult to God. Blasphemy means to insult or to injure God's reputation. And since only God can forgive sin, this guy is claiming to be God. Now, this is the first time, as we watch, now pay attention to the whole book of Matthew. This is the first blow-up. This is the first dust-up, right? So far, the Pharisees are kind of hanging out, listening. So far, so good. Maybe they're a little bit irritated, but now they're mad. Why are they mad? Because this guy claims to be God. Make no mistake, they did not crucify Jesus for saying we should love one another. They crucified him because he said, I am God. Now, wait a minute. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Now, here's a little contrast in the, if you look at this little narrative contrast here. What's the first thing Jesus perceived? People came in, and what did he see? Faith. This group over here, what does he perceive? Evil thoughts. See what Matthew's doing? He's, compared, he's contrasting. These, the unwashed, over here, the common people come. He sees faith and responds powerfully. The professionals, he, he perceives evil thoughts. That are, he, says, he says, why do you entertain the evil thoughts? Think about that. Here's an evil thought. Here's a, and literally, here's the evil thought. They give it a place to sit. Some refreshments, a snack. They make it comfortable. We make fun of them. Ha, ha, who would do such a silly thing? How many evil thoughts do we make comfortable? Do we give room? Do we give space? Ooh, let's give that. Let's, and then we nourish it a little bit through murmuring and rehearsing. And then we've got a real chubby evil thought. Those things put on, those things put on weight fast. Hosting, feeding, making comfortable. Jesus notices what they're doing. One group we have people that have come with faith, and another group we have people seeing the same Jesus, but with evil thoughts. Good question is, looking at the text, which group are you? So he says, why do you entertain evil thoughts? And then he says this, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, that's a great question, isn't it? On one hand, though, we might say it's easier to say uh, your sins are forgiven because that's an an easy one to claim. But on the other hand, it's also easy to, to dismiss. There's nothing to measure. I can't tell any difference. But if he were to say, get up and walk, now that one is measurable and measurable immediately. So it sounds like he's saying it's easier to say the forgiveness one than it is to walking. One is moral, the other is physical. It seems clear which is easier, but plot twist. This is a, no, it's fun. This is a plot twist. 
the scribes would not have believed it were possible for the man to be healed unless he were first forgiven. So now it's a plot twist, which is easier to say, ah, we don't know. But you can't say either one. <laughs> Jesus, savage. <laughs> and then he says this, which is easier to say, but I want you to know, Abuba. Every once in a while, Jesus gets a little twinkle in his eye, rolls up his sleeves and says, bring it. He says, but I want you to know the Son of Man. There it was. Listen. Who's the Son of Man? Yes, Daniel chapter 7. He is the glorious one who is crowned with eternal, universal authority and the one whom all the nations worship. A minute ago, they said, we think he might be blaspheming. And his answer is, yeah, I am. I'm the son of man. I'm the, I am the righteous one. I am the son of God. I'm God himself. And now, he said, in other words, if you thought that was blasphemy, listen to this. <laughs> Jesus. And then they just lose their minds. So that you may know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So, he said, I want you to know. So, he said, for this reason, get up. Take up your mat, go home. Then without, without fanfare, without a parade, without trumpets, without a, an organ, without a company music, the man got up and went home. He just got up, took his mat, and went home. Now that's, I think all of us would just be losing our minds with joy, right? But the reason why, Matthew, he includes it, but he doesn't emphasize it because he has a different thing he wants us to really be shocked and awe over. In other words... Jesus ministers to this guy. Listen, he didn't say, be healed. He didn't pray. He just said, get up. And the man did. And then, now Matthew says, then he got up and went home. He got up and lived like he had been forgiven. All the way home. He walked out of there. Come on. According to what Jesus said, according to the stigmatism, according to the rules of the day, right? He walked out of there like he was not a sinner. How should followers of Jesus walk? The whole point of this passage is this. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. Jesus did this to demonstrate one thing. Only God can forgive sin, and Jesus just did. There is no greater authority. There is no greater good news. There is no other way. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There is salvation only in his name. He alone has the authority and the right to forgive us our sin. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. They were filled with awe. Again, not necessarily just over the healing. That was amazing. But, but they were filled with awe because this healing validated the real claim that there is forgiveness of sin. And they praised God. And they praised God. Would you say that with me out loud? And they praised God. This, friends, is a response to forgiveness. If sin can be forgiven, then you and I can be restored we can be cleansed from our shame, and we are not in danger of damnation. 
That is good news and worth giving praise for. A couple more thoughts before we, before we, we land this thing. They said, Matthew says, they praise God who had given such authority to, to, to man. And this is the point. This is unique, exceptional, awe-inspiring, praiseworthy authority of Jesus. Usually in the past, we have said that the response to Jesus' authority is obedience, which is true, right? But now we see that ultimately, the response to Jesus' authority is praise. Because especially his authority to forgive. In Revelation 5.12, we see that this is going to happen for a long time because what they sing in heaven is, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. How does this passage teach us to follow Jesus? Two quick thoughts as we conclude. It should affirm this central truth to us. Jesus Christ came to save us from our sin. Matthew 1.21, the angel said to Joseph, You shall name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Paul will say later in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said this is a trustworthy saying and worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To follow Jesus means then to seek and to submit to his forgiveness. And for him to exercise that authority over our sin. And because of that, friends, we should live like we have been forgiven. We should get up And walk out like we are no longer a sinner. Following Jesus means that we leave sin behind us. What? I thought we kept it it as a pet. Nope. Consider this this admonition from the Apostle Peter in his text. It's a longer passage, but listen to him. His divine power, see how significant this is. Look for any deficiency in this passage. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, to mutual affection love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them, listen to this part, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Remember, you, your sins are forgiven. Remember, your sins are forgiven. So get up, get up, and live like it. And let your life be a reason that many will praise God. Because that is what it means to follow Jesus. 
Let's conclude in prayer this morning. Let me ask you to stand together as we close. anybody here in this room or participating with us online and I hope that we keep that going for a few minutes today that you're a candidate to hear good news your sins are forgiven if you if you don't have a confidence an assurance in your heart that your sins have been forgiven you can have that assurance today Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus Christ is still in the business. It is still his delight. He still has all authority over your sin. It doesn't matter how great your sin or how repetitive your sin has been or how ashamed you are of it. And your sin is is subject to the authority of Jesus. Bible says that he himself bore our sins on in his body on the cross so that we might with Christ die to sin and live for righteousness. If you've never asked Christ to be lord of your life, if you've never surrendered to him as your lord and savior, you can do that this morning right now. There's no magic words, but sometimes it just helps people to articulate their faith if we help them. That's what friends do. We help people into the presence of Christ. So in this room together as friends, would we all just help one another? Let's just pray this prayer aloud, shall we? Lord Jesus, I need your mercy. I submit to your authority. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord. I follow you. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just. That means he can be counted on and he exercises in his own justice this fact. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do not underestimate the extent of his authority. When he forgives you, you are forgiven and you are cleansed. You belong to him. If you're a follower of Jesus and you felt like you have struggled with repeated stuff, repeated junk, habitual sin, you need to know that Jesus has authority over that. That thing doesn't need to have any authority in your life at all. So right now, I just want to encourage you just to submit to the authority of Jesus. To say, Lord Jesus, I accept, I surrender to your authority to forgive me. To literally, not, 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 to, not, not to cast me away, but to take my sin, to cut it off, and to cast it away. And to set me free from its power and its penalty today. 
and enable me, Lord, today to get up and walk free, to live like I'm forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ speaks a better word over us. That today, the blood of Jesus Christ speaks forgiveness and cleansing, freedom, wholeness, hope, and healing over your life. And for this today, we together, let's give thanks to the name of Jesus. Can we do it? Let's just give the Lord thanks together, my friends. Friends, I bless you in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. And I challenge you, I enjoin you in his name to get up and walk out of this place like you have been completely cleansed from your sin. Live like you ain't a sinner. God bless you. Have a fantastic Sunday. We'll see you again. Be safe, be happy, wash your hands. Bye-bye.